Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Pray with me, please. Holy God of the universe, our Father in heaven, we gather in your presence today. We gather with one another with thanksgiving on our hearts because of the hope, peace, joy, and love that are wrapped into who and what Jesus is all about. And so, God, today as we talk about this incredible theme of joy, may we lean into the promise that comes with Jesus, and may we live out that joy every day of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, let me encourage you to reflect for a moment on the words that you just heard Evelyn speak. Where hope and peace were desires that we have, joy is a choice that we make. And it can last into every day because Jesus has come to be God with us. God with us then, God with us now, God with us forever. Let me encourage you to reflect on those words, and then let me invite you to hear these words from the little New Testament letter we know as James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a rather intriguing way for James to begin this letter, since many scholars assume that the author of this little epistle is likely the brother of Jesus. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Very likely the recipients being Jewish Christians, maybe the Jewish Christians who were scattered following the persecution we read about in the early chapters of Acts. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And with that one word, He then says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. Have you ever known anyone whose personality just seemed to be joyful no matter what the circumstances were. They always had a smile on their face, and because they were filled with joy, it was a joy, it is a joy for you and I to be around them. In this church, I think of a number of folks who are filled with joy. I think about folks like Evelyn Blevins, who just led us in the lighting of the joy candle. Folks like Evelyn and Reagan Branch, who is such a blessing to our young people, such a blessing to all of us who know her. On the other hand, have you ever known someone whose personality just seemed to be sour, no matter what the circumstances were? A sour personality when things were not going well, but a sour personality when things were going extremely well. And because of their perspective, you find yourself in the dumps too. 
Now, I want to be very careful with what I'm about to say because obviously all of us have unique personalities, personalities that are shaped by so many different things. The, the fact that we are unique in and of ourselves, our family backgrounds, uh, our, our circumstances, etc. We are unique, every one of us. But I want you to hear me say as much as anything else this morning, we also have choices to make. I think about the spiritual gifts that Paul identifies in Romans chapter 12, where he encourages us to use our gifts faithfully as we serve God and as we serve one another. And so he talks about gifts like the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of encouragement, the gift of giving. On one hand, I'm prone to say, but Paul, aren't we all called to encourage, to give, to serve? And I certainly think that is true, but we also recognize that God has especially gifted some folks with the gift of serving or teaching or encouraging. And anytime I read that list, I'm prone to say, kind of tongue-in-cheek, and God, I think I've known some folks who have the gift of discouragement. And it's at that moment that I am reminded again that we all have choices to make. And so think about joy for just a moment. Maybe part of the challenge when we talk about joy is the fact that we often use almost interchangeably, we often equate joy with happiness. But I'm going to make a bit of a distinction this morning between those two words because I think happiness to a large extent depends does depend on the circumstances that we experience in life. And so we may experience happiness because we got that promotion, because we did well on a final exam, because we're driving the kind of car we want to drive or living in the kind of house we want to live in. On the other hand, might I suggest that joy is more than happiness. Joy is that capacity to be at peace when everything around us points to anxiety and despair. And I hope, even as I talk, you recognize again this link between the different themes of Advent. Joy has nothing to do with the circumstances being just right. Joy is all about embracing the presence of Jesus in our hearts, which then moves outward into our lives. Joy is that internal quality that we experience, no matter what the circumstances of life may be. Thus, the words of a text like James 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And I recognize when I talk to you every Sunday, there are some of you who are walking through extraordinary trials, extraordinary challenges. And it may be incredibly difficult to choose joy, but no matter what we are experiencing, might I remind us today that we do have a choice. But I also invite you to stay with me. We choose joy, but here's the paradox. We make the choice to be people of joy because, on the other hand, we have already been given the gift of joy through the coming of Jesus. Maybe it's somewhat similar to the challenge we often talk about when we talk about a word like holy. Scripture obviously invites us to be a holy people. Be holy, God would say, because I am holy. Be holy. But we also recognize that through the blood of Jesus, we have already been declared holy. And so it's that, that paradox, if you please. You are holy, now lean into that. You are holy, now be holy. Well, through the gift of Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, we have already been given the gift of joy. Now 
the challenge is to choose joy. To choose to live with joy no matter what you may be facing. Just as I, as I said last week when we focused on peace, the peace that Jesus brings does not mean that the storms of life are suddenly going to disappear simply because we have put our trust in Jesus. No, the peace that Jesus brings is that internal peace, that internal calmness that we experience because of the presence of Jesus, because Jesus walks with us through every storm of life. In the same way, we choose joy because God has come near, because God is with us in spite of the challenges we may face. We choose joy because we've already received the gift of joy. I want you to listen to the way the Apostle Peter describes it in his first letter as he writes to believers who are experiencing suffering, insults because of their faith. Rather lengthy reading, but a part of his opening eulogy, his opening prayer to this church. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it is refined by, by fire, that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, listen, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Every time I read those words, I think about one of my roommates during my freshman year in college. He grew up in a family that had no connection with church, had virtually no connection with God in any shape, form, or fashion. Through the influence of a friend, he became a follower of Jesus during his senior year in high school and decided that he wanted to pursue ministry. He had played basketball in high school, likely could have gone to a couple of smaller colleges on a basketball scholarship, but he decided, I'm going to pursue ministry. And so he chose to attend a Christian university. His parents pretty well said, you go that route and we will not pay a single penny for your college education. For all practical reasons, for a number of years, they pretty well disowned him. He could have given up, but he kept his focus on Jesus. And in those moments when he was especially discouraged, we would find him reading 1 Peter. What he would, what he would have described as his favorite book in the Bible because of the encouraging words that Peter wrote. James says, count it all joy when you face many trials, if I might add to that, I suspect that Peter reminds us that there is every reason to make that choice because in Jesus we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And do you see any similarities between that and the kind of peace we talked about last Sunday? 
where we reference Philippians chapter 4 and Peter describes the peace we have, or Paul describes the peace that we have in God as a peace that transcends human understanding. And here is Peter saying that we have a joy that is inexpressible, but nonetheless a joy that runs deep in our hearts and minds no matter what life looks like. In fact, as I prepared this week's sermon, I was drawn again to the book of Philippians. And so, Bible, Bible quiz for just a moment. If I were to ask you what book, or even more particularly, what chapter in the Bible is the great faith chapter, you would say Hebrews chapter 11. If I were to ask you what chapter in the Bible is the great chapter on love, you would say 1 Corinthians 13. If I were to ask you what book in the Bible talks about joy, is all about joy, you would say Philippians. It's a short letter, four chapters, 104 verses. In those four chapters, Paul will use both noun and verb forms for the word from which we get joy, rejoice. He will use a form of that word 19 times, 19 times. At times, he describes his own joy. For example, in some of the opening lines of the letter, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. A bit later in that same first chapter, when he reflects on his current circumstances. And by the way, Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. And so grab hold of that. He is in prison because of his faith. And yet he is filled with joy. In fact, as he reflects on his situation and as he reflects on the preaching of the good news of Jesus, he'll talk about those who are preaching with impure motives. And yet he will conclude by saying that the important thing is that the gospel of Jesus is still being preached. And he says, because of this, I rejoice. I'm confident that if you came face to face with the Apostle Paul, you would immediately conclude that he was a person of joy. In spite of the hardships and circumstances he faced, you would conclude that he was a person of joy, filled with joy because of his language, his perspectives, perhaps even his demeanor. Now, here's the other interesting piece about joy in this Philippian letter. And I want to detour again for just a moment. We describe 1 Corinthians 13 as the great chapter on love. But why does Paul spend so much time talking to this church in Corinth about love? Why does he devote one whole section to love? Well, seems pretty obvious when you read 1 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, two letters in our New Testament to that church, seems rather obvious as you read 1 Corinthians that this church was not doing a very good job of loving one another. They're guilty of pride and arrogance, some of that connected with the spiritual gifts they possess. Oh, I've got the gift of tongues, and so I'm more important than you are, or I have a certain amount of prestige in the community, and so I'm more important than you are. And it was affecting their worship together, when they came together, it was affecting how they shared the Lord's Supper. And so Paul stops to remind them that every part of the body is important, just like the human body is made up of many parts. So also the body of Christ is made up of many parts, and every part is important. He, he reminds them of that, but he not only reminds them of that, he calls them then with that great challenge in chapter 13 to love one another. 
He says, even if we have the kind of faith that can move mountains, but we don't have love, really doesn't matter. Even if I give everything I possess to the poor and I don't have love, really doesn't matter. And so he talks about a love that is marked by patience and kindness and forgiveness, not a life that is marked by envy or pride. And so bottom line, I think Paul spends that much time talking about love because the church in Corinth needed to hear those words. In my judgment, some of the same may be going on in the church in Philippi. Paul says so much about joy because these believers have allowed a number of things to rob them of the joy they have in Jesus. Just like we may allow a number of things to rob us of this incredible gift, the gift of joy that Jesus brings. In fact, as you read Philippians, I think we can identify at least four things that have the potential of robbing us of joy. And as you look at a list like I'm about to share, we could probably add any number of other things. Very, very briefly, Paul would tell us that the circumstances of life themselves may rob us of our joy. Again, Paul is in prison when he writes this letter, and yet he has not allowed those circumstances to rob him of joy. And so maybe it's worth asking the question, are there circumstances in your life where you've allowed those circumstances to rob you of your joy. And as, he, and as you answer that question, remember that very few of the circumstances in our lives are things that we have very much control over. Uh, the weather, traffic, many times even health, so many things that we have so little control over, and yet we allow those circumstances to rob us of our joy. What we do have control over is how we respond. And so we go back to Evelyn's words from the very beginning, that joy is a choice. Secondly, Paul talks about the potential of allowing people to rob us of our joy. And maybe all of us have lost our joy at times or allowed our joy to slip away because of who people are, what they've said, what they've done. To use the language that you've heard me use on other occasions, and I borrow this from a bulletin article that I saw years and years ago. But if we could just get rid of the people then I wouldn't have all these challenges. No, maybe the approach ought to be, again, what I choose and what you choose. The question is how we respond. And so have you ever allowed people, what they say, what they do, to rob you of joy? A third, Paul says, we allow things to rob us of our joy. In fact, he even reflects in chapter 3 on a whole variety of things in, in which he once took confidence. A lot of that related to his background as a Jew, but things he took confidence in. But then he will ultimately say that's not where real joy and meaning are found. He's direct enough to say whatever was gained to me, I'm now willing to consider loss for the sake of my relationship with Christ. We allow things or possessions to rob us of our joy, envy because we don't have certain things, or heartache because we lose certain things. I'm reminded of the story that Charles Swindle tells. He talks about a wealthy man who was moving into a new house, literally kind of a mansion, and a neighbor down the road a bit who was a Quaker by way of religious tradition who believed in simplicity of life. This gentleman was watching all of the activities carefully. He counted the number of chairs and tables and the vast amount of other things that were being carried into the house. And finally, he said to his new neighbor, neighbor, if thou dost need anything, come to see me and I will tell thee how to get along without it. 
Unfortunately, it's easy to believe that joy comes from the things that we own or possess. The reality is things can rob us of the only kind of joy that really lasts. And so similar question, have you allowed your perspective on things to rob you of joy? And fourth, Paul tells us that worry can rob us of joy. In fact, in chapter 4, and we went there last week, Paul links peace and joy together. I shared some of his words in chapter 4 last week, but I want to read the longer setting today, the longer paragraph as we talk about this connection between joy and peace. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In very intentional ways, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Joy is a choice. And so Paul urges us to guard our hearts and our minds to think on those things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Joy is a choice. And that choice enables us, notice the link again, enables us to experience peace. Interestingly, I, I said earlier that in either a verb or noun format, Paul will use the word joy 19 times in Philippians. It's also interesting beyond that, that he will use the word mind 10 times and the word think five times to reinforce again that we have choices to make. And so the things that we think about, the things where we focus our mind, and so today, may you choose joy. And by the way, there is an ultimate example. I don't know if you've caught the phrase before that I want you to catch today, but listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, referencing again what we know as Hebrews 11, all of those great men and women of faith in the Old Testament since we are surrounded by them, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And then here's the phrase, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Or if you would allow me to paraphrase, so that you will not grow weary and lose your joy. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. 
the joy of relationship with us, the joy of redeeming us, the joy of honoring his Father, the joy of completing his mission, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of everything that he took for us, in spite of a cross, he allowed joy to be the guiding force. Maybe that's why Paul reminds us back in the book of Romans that the kingdom of God is all about things that are often very different than what we think about when we think about the kingdom of God. Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, and he's in an overall context where he's talking about unity in the body of Christ and about all of those things that can distract us from the kind of unity that God has called us to. Eating and drinking in that particular context as he talks about some of those dietary laws and regulations that they allowed to divide them. He says that's not what the kingdom of God is all about, and we can fill in the blanks with any number of things that we may sometimes have on our agenda. No, he says the kingdom of God is all about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so would you, would you please, please hear these concluding words today? Because of the incarnation, a world in waiting, because of the coming of Jesus, we have been given the gift of joy. And now, church, embrace that joy. Choose joy every moment of your life, no matter what your experiences may be. Choose joy. And so today, we light this candle, this candle of joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your amazing love for us, for the gift of Jesus, for the gift of Jesus that brings us gifts of hope and peace and today joy. May we claim those gifts, but even more particularly today as we reflect upon the gift that we have received through Jesus, this gift of joy, may we also lean into it and choose joy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?